This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious or stir something delicious, drink it all, and you can't have it. That's right. Today, we are talking about martinis. You all have been asking for it. It's the most popular drink out there right now (laughs) in 2023. Uh, And this episode was suggested by us. Yeah, during some other episode, I think. Yeah, even though neither of us drinks martinis, Uh, but we're going to today. We we may have an actual three martini lunch right Mm -hmm. before your eyes or ears. Wow. Okay. Matthew, have you ever ordered a, mar- a martini anywhere? Never in my life. Uh, okay. I was once with a friend when I was in like my early 20s who ordered a martini, maybe even like late teens, and like let me have a sip. And I'm like, this is so bad. <laughs> I have never or- ordered a martini. I once ordered a Manhattan at a wedding. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a classic like wedding thing. Sure. That would be like the groom's drink and the bride's drink would be something that's, like That explains why Cosmo-y. when I ordered it, the, the, the bartender was like, well, you're a real man, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I think that the first wedding... Oh, this is turning out to be our Manhattan show. Okay. Because the first wedding that I remember attending as like an, like an adult who could drink alcohol... Rather than like a flower girl. <laughs> right. <laughs> It had like that classic like gender binary cocktail thing. The groom's drink is the Manhattan. The bride's drink was the Cosmo. This was like 1998. That sounds right. Uh, or maybe 1999. I think I had just turned Wait, 21. Did you go to Carrie and Big's wedding? I did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it was it was my cousin Jason's wedding, and I had the hots like big time for his best man. Mm, nice this guy named Tim, uh, who had kind of like sad eyes. As were you know, you, I like were I'm you haunted. the uh, what do you call it, chief bridesmaid? What's, no, uh, I wasn't even in the wedding. Okay. I wasn't even in the wedding, and I was like 21 years old, and this guy was like 29, yeah. and that is an age gap that I just feel like can't really be breached no i mean like i mean in, definitely there are some dudes who would breach it but yeah, I was, I was I, I, like in like a one night stand context yeah no i felt like that guy he was like <laughs> get away from me yeah sure uh but this is our martini episode yeah so let's go down martini memory lane okay. i guess we already started all right so my only other martini memory lane that i remember is that uh one time i remember my friend liza telling me very excitedly like texting me to say uh that uh her husband dan uh, had surprised her with a dirty martini and this was like a delightful thing and i didn't know what it was i looked it up and i was like ah that's like a <laughs> that's like a, a an ambush rather than a surprise but she liked it i think that the the only time I've ever really considered ordering a martini was in New Orleans at lunch at Commander's Palace mm-hmm. where they have a 70 or no a 25 cent 25 Sorry, cent I, martini I, I, yes I think it's a 25 cent martini why I guess I so people I guess know. so people like us will talk about it and yeah, it's free advertising I think so I think so I mean, I mean this was in 2016 yeah I had met up with my friend Ben in New Orleans Ben is definitely a martini drinker and anyway, we went to Commander's Palace. I think I had a Negroni or something, which was a $6 half-hearted Negroni. 
because I just yeah. don't want to drink hard liquors at lunchtime, despite the fact that that's what we're doing today. Sure. Yeah. No. Now, the fact that you're be- that you're Ben, that your friend Ben uh, is a <laughs> martini drinker and is like less than 100 years old. I feel like this would be a thing that would start ironically and then you grow to like it. I think Ben is 100 years old on the inside. OK. I mean, let's be fair. honest. Ben is uh, an opera singer and an opera. Di- or ben is trained as an opera singer and he's an opera director. OK. So he is 100 years old. All right. On the inside. That that makes sense. Yeah. My mom also had a so again, Tony Negroni had a dirty (laughs) martini phase like a couple years ago. And I remember she bought some sort of like dirty martini. (laughs) She wants some dirty stuff. (laughs) Like I don't know if it was like vermouth that came already doctored with olive juice. I don't know. If she's listening to this, like no shade, mom, as the kids say. But anyway, I think that she she saw it like advertised somewhere and she thought that sounds exciting and she had sort of her dirty martini summer. Oh, I've definitely had like a thing where I got some bottle and like had a a phase of that thing until it was used up and then forgot about it. Yeah, I think that's what she did. Um, But I do remember there was an evening she showed up at my house with the dirty martini stuff and was very excited to make me a dirty martini. And she made me one. And I really thought I was going to like it because I like the idea of the olive brine. And I felt like I kind of suffered through it just in solidarity. Okay, but we're going to do it again today. And I might even try a sip. Like, okay, okay, so we're not a yucking of yums kind of show. No, no, no. But like, I feel like the whole like, like aesthetically, I love the idea of a martini. As an actual thing to drink, I feel like it's probably not for me, but I haven't tried it since I was probably 20. So um, The person who I think makes martinis look best is uh, not James Bond. Not James Bond, okay. The food writer, uh, Alicia Kennedy. Okay. Who lives in Puerto Rico. Uh, she's originally from New York, lives in Puerto Rico. I believe her husband is a former bartender or maybe still is a bartender. The two of it's them. It's hard to get out of the game once, the, you're, once you're a bartender. They keep dragging you back that's in. That's true. The two of them, uh, they live really well. Sure. And, Anyway, she loves martinis so much. I believe she may have one tattooed like on her finger. Oh, that would make a very Just, good tattoo. I know, right? Just like a line drawing of the glass, uh, which I know we're going to talk more about yeah. in a minute. But anyway, whenever she posts a photo on Instagram of a martini, it always looks perfect. And I think some of it is that she's in Puerto Rico and, and everything there looks slightly dewy all the time because sure. it's hot. However, oh my gosh, it always looks so cool cold so like perfectly like sparkling somehow not 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 the liquid itself but just like the (laughs) the whole it's basically like when edward cullen goes into the light and begins shimmering yeah yeah, yeah. of course yeah it's like that except with a martini i'm more team edward which in this this is a metaphor for like a totally different drink Oh, <laughs> um, okay. Wait, I have, okay. To, I have to mention another drink again because this is going to drive me nuts for the whole episode if we don't think of it. When I said like I got a bottle and used it up and then never made that cocktail again, the thing I was thinking of was this cocktail called the Harvard Cooler, which is made with that expensive apple brandy. Oh, what apple, is that stuff Applejack called? Or cognac? No, <sighs> cognac is made from champagne Great. grapes. Yeah, so it's it's French. It's not applejack and it's not cognac. Oh, uh, it is. Um, this is it. This is that moment, <laughs> listeners, where, where you're all yell, y'all screaming at us. Well, and it's, probably, it's, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know. Shut up for a minute and maybe I'll come up with it. <laughs> We're going to have to Google no, it. No, we got to Google it. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to get this. I feel like it ends in A-R-D. Oh, uh, is it Armagnac? No, that's that's also a... Oh, a, Armagnac no, no. is prunes or plums or something. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, uh, I think Armagnac may also be grapes. Is it? Oh no! This this show just went off the rails. Okay, so we need to find out what is Armagnac okay. and what is that apple stuff called. Okay, okay French apple brandy, Calvado. Okay, well it it has a D in it. Yeah. Okay, and what <laughs> is what is Calvados. Armagnac? It's a distinctive kind of brandy. It's made from grapes. Oh, I think I think you God. thought prunes because like prune Armagnac is a very common pairing. Oh. Jeez. And I know that because I'm a very fancy guy. I'm so disappointed in myself that I couldn't come up with Calvados. Okay, I have to talk about one other drink, but this one is not a quiz. Did you know that there's a new official drink of the summer in the Amster Burton house? 
It is a non-alcoholic drink, and it's called the Boston Cooler. And okay. it's a drink from Michigan, as you can tell by the name. <laughs> yeah. And it is an ice cream soda made with ginger ale blended with vanilla ice cream, and it rules. Wow, that sounds really so good. good. I have been... So, so you know, it's kind of weird that we're doing this episode today. I will do anything to put off having to drink a martini. <laughs> it's kind of weird that we're doing this episode today, not only because neither of us drinks martinis, but also because... I decided to see like how long I could go without drinking. Oh, and so, uh and so anyway, I let's see. Uh, we're recording this on what is it, August seventh? Okay. Let's see. I had a drink on July twenty first, and okay, and not since then. Um, I don't think we're going to drink a large amount. I don't of think these so today. either. So I'm fine with it. Okay. So should we talk about a little bit of uh, definitions in history and then start stirring up some some uh, cold cold ones? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real martini, martini drinkers refer cold, to them as cold, cold ones. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's what Bella calls Edward Cullen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Is he cold? Yeah. Do you remember? Well, anyway, I, I don't, I, I, I've watched I did, the movie I read, twice. I read the first book and saw the first movie. You watched the movie twice recently. <laughs> yeah. And like, is he is he cold? And isn't isn't that like he's bad? cold? He's cold. He goes to adjust the stereo. He's driving the car, and she goes to like touch his hand or something. And she's like, "Oh, you're so cold." And then she goes home and like looks up a book about like. Uh, Quilly legends or something about like the history of like vampires in Washington state or whatever and learns that vampires are called the cold ones. (laughs) (laughs) Crack one open and drink it. That's great. I thought you were going to say he reached for the car radio and like put it on cold FM. I don't even know. Cold hits. <laughs> like the cold, stuff nobody cold listens ice. to um, what? No, I was thinking like <laughs> okay. the opposite like, of like, like hot like hits. Hot right. hits. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like one hit wonders that have been completely forgotten by history. Yeah, that's right. Are still being played on cold FM the- and listened to by sparkly, sparkly boys. God, I love sparkly boys. Yeah, they're good. Ah, okay. Still, still Team Edward. Okay, here. yeah, um, no, Team okay. Edward all the way. So, uh, so Molly, you may be wondering, what is a martini? I am. I am. Uh, oh man, it's been so long. Now. We haven't been in the studio for like a month because, like, you were out of town, and then I got COVID, and like, uh, oh, yeah. man, it's oh, so good man. to be back. It's really good to be back. Um, also, Matthew made me a grilled cheese, so I wouldn't be drinking on an empty stomach, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> you asked how I wanted it cut if I wanted it cut yeah and I told you to surprise me and so you got like a kind of like zigzag down the middle so well I don't know like a, a it was more like a yeah what how like, a, you, like, like a Tetris you, yeah you turned it into like a Lego or something yeah. it was pretty great thanks okay yeah I enjoyed I enjoyed doing that but I, uh, next time it's going to be even more toothy Okay, cool. Okay, so uh, first of all, we're not going to get into espresso martinis and like drinks that are served in martini glasses but don't have any ingredients in common with the original martini. Okay. Because like we would be here all day. Are we going to be talking about the Martinez? Oh, I yes. see we are. Yes, we are. Great. Okay, so a martini is a cocktail consisting of gin or more recently vodka, vermouth, and an olive or lemon twist, and sometimes bitters. Okay. Obviously, it is served in a martini glass. And I want to say, too, that we're not really going to be, uh, we're not going to be tasting, and I also don't think we're going to be talking about a vodka martini. Yeah, I mean, I did just mention it, but other than that, yeah. I think that was the, kind of that the was, last mention. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Okay, so let's talk about a little about history. So as you might expect for a famous cocktail, a lot of people claim to have invented it or know the real story, and we're never going to know for sure. That's right. We know that there were precursors by the late 1800s and that the modern martini was definitely popular in the roaring 20s. That checks out. I can picture it like, you know, your flapper dress, your martini. Yeah, maybe like one in each hand, maybe like one between your toes. (laughs) Wow, things were roaring. Yeah, I mean, I imagine like the the roaring 20s, I feel like they must have roared harder than we've ever roared since. That's true. Otherwise, they wouldn't be called the roaring 20s. It might have, and like the most accepted story is that it, it developed from a cocktail called the Martinez from Martinez, California, made with gin, sweet vermouth, maraschino, and orange bitters. 
Okay. Um, and by 1888, uh, there was a bartender's manual by Harry Johnson, which I think is a funny name. That's true. And it had a martini cocktail recipe containing gin, vermouth, curacao, bitters, and, quote, gum syrup. What's gum syrup? Right. That's what I said. So it's obviously it's simple syrup with gum Arabic or gum Arabic. I'm not sure how to pronounce it for a silky texture. Uh, so what's gum Arabic? Gum Arabic is the hardened sap of the acacia tree used as an emulsifier. I know I've seen seen it in a bunch of food things. I mean, doesn't it sometimes show up in ice cream or is that oh, no yeah. that's guar gum? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of gums. Okay. Okay. And it and gum gum arabic is one of them. I have a feeling that there are bartenders out there who are like making their own Absolutely. gum syrups for sure. It's yeah, they're yeah. called they're called gum boys. That's true. And it's not a, it's not a gendered term. So they're called gum boots. <laughs> Isn't that, is that like oh, a kind of that? boot? Uh, gum what is shoe, gum shoes. They're called gum, gum shoes. shoes, obviously. They uh, only come out from behind the bar to solve crimes. <laughs> cold cases. <That's laughs> the, the kind of cases you hear about on Cold FM. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then in 1907, uh, Bartender's Guide by William Boothby contained a recipe for a, quote, dry martini, which contained gin, vermouth, orange bitters, and lemon and an olive, like mm. lemon peel and an olive. I think I like the sound of that with the orange bitters. It sounds, yeah, it sounds good. <clears throat> I was thinking about, I didn't get orange bitters, and I don't have any, so we're not going to try that today. Okay. But uh, as we'll hear later, uh, Hot Pots, husband of the producer of the show, Brandon, uh, is a big fan. Did you say the producer? <laughs> I said the producer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, hot pot. Husband of the producer of the show. <laughs> Sorry, Abby. Okay. Anyway, what? hot. What about Abby, hot pots? Abby's a fantastic producer. <laughs> Hire her for real. She's so good that by the time you hear this, it's going to sound like I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> uh, okay, but what about hot pots? He's a fan of orange bitters in his martini. Oh, oh. Okay. Did you know that, or did you like? interview him for this this episode uh abby put it on the agenda oh up um, where down 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 there down there <laughs> Ooh, sorry abby um okay so uh however uh the dry martini recipe from uh william boothby's book in 1907 contained equal parts of gin and vermouth so not what we would call a dry martini today okay do you know what else happened in 1907 yeah i think you're about to tell me oklahoma statehood oh okay great yeah Mm-hmm. Is that when the land rush was, or no? no that, was that was earlier. Much earlier. That okay. was earlier. I think that was eighteen eighty nine. What's the What's the official cocktail of the state of of Oklahoma? Oh. I know there is one because <laughs> recently on Jeopardy, some contestant said that he was trying to make all of the fifty state cocktails. I don't know what Washington. I didn't know is they either. were there were like state cocktails. I mean, I'm I'm all about like state flowers, mm-hmm. state birds. State oh, cocktails. Yeah. I, don't I saw know. your favorite bird outside today. Uh, you texted me that I should beware that the uh, the menace, a Stellar's Jay, yep. is outside. They do live outside. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, are, like, there's got to be like a lot of controversies around what is the right way to do a martini. Are these yeah. like? So yeah, let's talk about some controversies and variations, and then let's then let's try some before we before we go into talking about the martini glass and other stuff. Okay. As I was writing up this this agenda. I completely had the the martini like like rise and fall of popularity like way off because I sort of imagined that they got popular in the 80s and like Gordon Gecko would drink them oh, yeah. and then like you know declined in popularity in the 90s. Oh no. They were popular like like we said in the 20s like continued to be popular through the 50s started to decline in the 60s and became pretty unpopular by the early 70s. Okay. And then when did they come back? Uh, they, they've never come back to that extent. Okay. Like it's still, it's today, it's not, not a very popular drink order. Yeah. Like a classic martini. That's true. Yeah. So, so I do remember people in the nineties, like joking about how everyone hated vermouth and like cool people drank the driest martinis. Like you just like say the word vermouth near the glass. Yeah. Like, you like wave the closed bottle of right. vermouth over the glass. And then I remember reading, cause, cause I was like reading a ton of food writing and then I remember reading I was like, actually, vermouth is tasty and you should make a classic martini. So there's like, you know, backlash to the backlash and 
kind of don't really care. Okay. So let's turn to Wikipedia for uh, for some definitions and variations. So Wikipedia says, quote, a dry martini is made with little to no vermouth. Ordering a martini extra dry will result in even less or no vermouth <laughs> added. <laughs> so is that like negative vermouth? It sounds like if you order a ver- extra dry martini, you get somehow they suck vermouth <laughs> out of it. <laughs> like, is there like vermouth infused into the substance of the glass and they like right. draw it out? Some, they like squeeze it extra well, <laughs> well, you know, there's vermouth and anti-vermouth that if you accidentally <laughs> shake them together, it explodes. <laughs> um, the standard ratio is two to one gin to vermouth. Okay, wait, hold on. Should we go ahead and make one of these? Yeah, let's, Let, pa- let's, let's make pause one. here and okay. make one. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited to try I'm, it, I'm I think. I'm kind of excited, yeah. too. Right, we got to get the it basic. really cold. Yes. Okay. Matthew, I'm a little bit upset that you didn't put the gin in the freezer when you got oh. home because we're going to be starting with room temperature alcohol. I don't think it makes that much difference. But, but I think you're going to melt the ice more and get more water in the drink. But you know what? That's cool because that's probably what you and I want anyway. You know, my friend Ben, who is a, a martini man, he also is a fan of, uh, so he keeps vodka in the freezer, and he, the only time in my life that I have had, vo- like, a vodka shot was at Ben's house. Yeah, it was vodka straight from the freezer, and I do think I squeezed a tiny bit of lemon into mine, and then I sipped it, and it was actually delicious. And for a second, I didn't know who I was, because <laughs> that is absolutely not something I would ordinarily be into. Have you ever done shots? No. I've never done a shot either. Ever. I've maybe, I've maybe like drunk one shot of something. Did you like, did you sip it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would totally sip it. I'm like scared of shots. I mean, vaccines too. Like I just, no, I just, no no, 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 but I just don't like needles. I'm fine with what's in them. Okay. No, I don't like needles. Oh yeah, I don't either. Okay. So we've got a bunch of supplies here. We've got... Beefeater Gin, which was uh, the second favorite gin uh, in a Serious Eats roundup. The first one was too expensive. Okay. Uh, we've got Dolan brand or Dolan brand vermouth, mm-hmm. uh, recommended vermouth. by Abby. Yep. Uh, we've got green olives with pimentos. Okay. Uh, we've got a, a lemon. And how did you choose olives with pimentos? That seemed to be when I was when I was researching. That seemed to be the classic choice for, really? a, for a martini with an olive in it. Okay. Yep. Okay. Cool. And like when I imagine like what does a martini with an olive look like, I imagine the little pimento guy. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, I'm really I, uh, as I said when I arrived here and saw the bottle of beef eater. I'm very pleased that you got beef eater. I do oh, think thanks. it's just sort of a classic like London dry gin. That's good. I was usually you make fun of the things I buy for the show. Oh no. And I also, Hey, well done, Abby telling him to get Dolan because that is, uh, the kind of vermouth I actually have at home. Okay. So I, I'm just doing like two ounces and of, of gin and one ounce of vermouth to, so I don't have to do math. Great. Perfect. So we're doing a classic here. Uh, with the old standard two to one ratio, Matthew is about to stir it. Yeah, my cocktail spoon's in the dishwasher, and I'm too lazy to wash it, so I'm just gonna. Use wow, your cocktail spoon's in the dishwasher. Have you been making cocktails? Um, I've been using it for making iced green tea. Ah, yes. So oh, I'm using... that sounds that sounds good. You know, it like it smells really good. It does floral. Oh, I love the smell of gin. That smells really good. Is that stirred enough? Do you think? Okay, and you have a Hawthorne strainer here. Yep. That's the, how would you describe the Hawthorne Strainer? It's the Springy Boy? It's the Springy Boy. Yeah, it's uh, it's so cute. Uh, I don't even, I don't have a Hawthorne Strainer, and I keep meaning to get one. I feel like it's like such a basic thing to have in one's cocktail repertoire. Will you and, pour this? Like, I, yes. I have bad aim. And then we can decide how we want to garnish. Oh, it's my first martini. Look at that. Oh, God, this is, this looks, it's, isn't it interesting how you can like really see the viscosity of the alcohol or the liquor? Yes. And it's, it's from the gum. (laughs) Okay. So are we going to put a, put an olive in here? Yeah, yeah. Put it, we got to put an olive in one and we're going to do what, like a little lemon twist in another? Yeah, do the lemon twist. I am. Okay, here we go. Oh my God. I can't believe I'm going to attempt to, I almost said to do this on air. But not like anybody's going to see how bad this lemon twist is. Okay. Oh, that's not terrible, actually. I'm going to twist it over the glass. Okay. I feel like I have to take a picture of this because it does look pretty iconic. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, these, these look, look great. really good. Do you think we're going to hate these? I can see a little bit of lemon oil on the surface of the glass, and that is really pleasing. I think I might like the lemon one. I don't think I'm going to like the olive one. Okay, can I? Can yeah, I, yeah, dig in. Can I taste? Okay, I'm going to smell it first. Okay. Oh, I can really smell the lemon oil. Cheers. Oh, cheers. I don't understand what the deal is. Okay. Oh, yeah, that lemon oil on top is very, very appealing. No, this is kind of how I remember tasting it, it tasting it when I was a kid and hating it. Yeah, this is just like, God, we're terrible, Matthew. We are I like, feel like, I feel like I don't think these th- ingredients go together, which I know is a silly thing to say. I just feel like this tastes like, because um, like I've had vermouth and enjoyed it, and I've had gin like this, drinks and enjoyed them. Oh my gosh, I love gin. Yeah, hold on, just just for. Just for shits and giggles, can I just taste a little bit of this gin straight? Yeah, of course. I'm just going to drink room temperature gin out of a jigger. Uh Uh-huh. Totally normal. Okay. I'm going to smell this. It smells great. Like, I'm for sure going to make a gin and tonic with this tomorrow. So that's really delicious. Yeah. And I love vermouth. I mean, I I drink vermouth straight. Why do Mm. I hate this? Like, I, I feel like this tastes like, I imagine, rubbing alcohol tastes. I, it's yeah, like you put the I two kinda, flavors together and they cancel out. We were going to make like several other kinds of martinis, but I think we shouldn't. I can mean, I, I guess. Can I try the lemon one again? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess if we made one with less vermouth, it's going to just pretty much taste like gin and and it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess we're dry martini drinkers. Yeah, this is this is puzzling. I just I, I also don't like the flavor of the lemon oil. Okay. I feel like I'm drinking like furniture polish. Yeah, you did put in kind of a big ass, big honking uh, lemon lemon twist there. <laughs> I feel personally attacked, but I thought that would make it better. No, I I agree. I would have done the same. I'm just perplexed. What uh, what uh, what are we missing? Like, do you do you want to try the dirty martini where you add a little bit of olive brine to this one? Sure. Okay. Why don't you just take like a spoonful? Yeah. I mean, people who really love martinis don't want a, a dirty martini because it doesn't taste right. I and, do, I, and I don't want one because I don't want olive juice. I don't like olives. I know this is a personal uh, failing. No, that is... Okay, well, sometimes sometimes we're surprised at the results of a tasting on the show, and sometimes we're not. I But I think of myself as... It's odd. It's so weird. So here's the thing. I like really boozy cocktails. I mean, I yeah, like. I usually don't, but I like an old fashioned. That's a really boozy cocktail. I I mean, I love like a Negroni. I love a Manhattan. I love um, all these uh, uh, very like booze forward cocktails. I will gladly drink bourbon straight. Um, Have you ever had one bourbon, one scotch, and one beer? Because <laughs> um, there was love, a song I love about a that gin that I and tonic. I love FM. vermouth. I don't. I don't get this. It feels like it takes the fragrance of both of these main ingredients and like they cancel each other out. Well, it, to me, it's more like they smash into each other and explode. It's terrible. But if you like it, <laughs> uh, uh, maybe, so, that's yeah. right. We weren't supposed to yuck anybody's yum. I, I don't know. Like if yeah, if anyone was really excited to hear our, our martini episode because they're a big martini fan. I mean, well, I think I think what's you what's, can you can laugh at us. What's boring about an episode where we really don't like what we're enjoying <laughs> and by enjoying is, is I mean eating or drinking is that like there's nothing interesting about not liking something. I've never thought about that before. That's, but like that is absolutely true. But this is very this is like we have nothing interesting to say about this. I was I was thinking back to when uh yesterday for no reason about how and I used to write restaurant reviews and like occasionally I would write a negative review and if I could go back in time like I wouldn't have written any negative reviews. I would have just like gone somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. And but when it comes to like this cocktail situation, like there's nothing interesting for us to say uh, when we don't like something. It's weird. however we have a lot of other stuff. I mean, like martinis are still interesting, and we yeah. still have a lot of, of stuff no, to talk I, about that includes some pretty funny stuff. Well, there's a part of me that wishes we had somebody on here who really loves martinis, but like then, hot pots. But I think then we would like just sit around and be like, really, you do. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like? Let's talk more about uh, variations and controversies. Okay, okay, so what's a Gibson? Because it, 
I feel like I, I confuse a Gibson with a Gimlet with a Collins I, I with totally, a Ricky. Totally was thinking Gimlet, like like which one's a Gibson, which one's a Gimlet. Okay. Uh, a Gibson is a martini with a cocktail onion instead of an olive, and uh, my grandfather used to drink these. This is a real old man thing yeah. to do, even even more than other old man yeah. things. Yeah, he was, he was a, a mean old alcoholic, and he loved a Gibson. Okay. Which... <laughs> Again, like I, which I'm not saying that anybody who likes a Gibson is a mean old alcoholic. <laughs> no, okay. no. Matthew is only speaking about his own family. Yes, right. Okay. A perfect martini uses equal parts dry and sweet vermouth. I almost want to try that. I, I don't have sweet vermouth. I would on be hand. very interested in that. Yeah. I mean, I just love vermouth, so oh, I don't yeah. know. Uh, okay. We did the dirty martini with olive brine. I'm not going to taste it. Uh, vodka martini has vodka. James Bond's favorite drink was the Vesper martini, which was introduced in the book Casino Royale and contains gin, vodka, and Kina Lillet, which uh, was replaced with Lillet Blanc in 1986. And Ian Fleming later said that he personally found the drink unpalatable. Who's Ian Fleming? <laughs> the author of the James Bond books. Oh, <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. Which, I mean, like, there's no reason, like, if you come, you, you might think of a no, cool, you, like. You can have a character who, who does things you don't like. No, I think if you're an author, you are, like, implicitly signing off on everything your characters oh, do. Yeah. And okay. Say, yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's the deal with a martini glass? Because right. I think they're ugly. Really? Yeah, I don't own any oh. because I don't like them. Now I'm going to be with this. It, what The thing you just said is about to happen because I think they're awesome. I don't own any, but I think they look cool. And so now I'm going to be the person being like, how could you not like them? I think my thing is that most martini glasses that I encounter out in the world are in places where people are really into like decorative martini glasses. Oh, sure. I feel like maybe this is because I never go into a bar and order a martini. Maybe there I would encounter like a beautiful crystal martini glass that would feel really delicate and lovely. It would probably depend on the bar. But I hate all the like decorative shit that somehow just people love to make martini glasses that are like either huge or that are a color or that. Yeah. Like I was imagining like a real like classic, like art deco, like, like, you know, spare modernist. I don't know that I've seen actually now that I think about it, many martini glasses that felt light in the way of like a crystal glass. And I'm sure they're out there. I'm but sure yes, they are too, I but agree. I, it's, I it's don't more like of a, he- a, it's a heavier thing. Yeah, I don't like a glass glass. Okay, so <laughs> I was, you don't like a, uh, yeah, thanks for not letting that, I, I was about to let that go by. <laughs> you, you prefer a, a martini glass made of wood. <laughs> uh, no, okay. I was actually thinking uh, silver. Although a I, no, silver goblet. No, I learned from MFK Fisher that one never drinks a martini from silver. Uh, she says this in her essay, Borderland. Are you serious? I'm serious. Uh, why not? She uses. Is it because silver is mildly she toxic? She says like it would be like drinking a martini from silver. Like it isn't done. Like that kind of vibe. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, it sounds pretty cool, honestly. I wonder if it gives off like a, a, a sort of um, like silvery taste, you know, that me- metal yeah. taste. I was very pleased to learn that the martini glass comes with possibly the stupidest apocryphal origin story of any food related item that I've ever heard. And we've we've had some really silly ones. So according to Wikipedia, a popular story says the martini glass was invented during prohibition so that in the case of a raid on a speakeasy, the large rim allowed the drink to be easily disposed of. What? Isn't that great? That's so dumb. (laughs) It's also interesting. I would never think of it as a large rim or a way of describing a martini glass as having a large rim. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's it's like a, yeah. It's like, it it is. It's a a wide diameter. Yeah. For for the amount of fluid that it contains. And it is really interesting the way that stuff, like, pours over a lip like that. Elaborate. Well, no, I mean, I think about think about like a shampoo, champagne flute. A shampoo flute. Yeah. <laughs> think about a champagne flute, and the way when you hold it to your mouth, it it directs the liquid in a small portion of the rim. It directs it to come out. <laughs> like there's a little conductor. You might need to drop picture. <laughs> No, but do you know what I mean? Whereas a martini glass, I do get it. Like, look how wide the part that's about to flow out is. Oh, I see what see you what mean. See what I mean? The oh, liquid, yeah. when it comes to the rim, 
to pour over the edge, there's a real like width to it. I see what you're saying now. I often find like if I am really thirsty and I like pour myself a glass of water and like you're like whoa, I like need to drink some water. <laughs> like often I'll drink it so fast that it like dribbles out of the sides of my mouth, which is super sexy. I think that's what a martini that, glass yeah, is designed, designed to do to make everyone look sexy. Because truly, like in the um, the width of the liquid that's coming out of it is like mouth wide. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see. <laughs> In fact, the martini glass dates to 1925 when it was introduced at the Paris Exhibition, but it was originally a modernist champagne coupe. Oh, I, I love a champagne coupe. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, I mean, you can see how it could be related. Mm-hmm. And according to Wikipedia, quote, the martini glass has somewhat fallen out of favor in modern times due to its tendency to spill drinks, yeah. and the coupe is sometimes used instead. Also, I would say that I think in a lot of places, martini glasses are being used to serve dessert. Yes, of yeah, course. So they've all been like taken over by the pastry chef. Yeah, the pastry chef snuck behind the bar and stole them in the dead of night. That's right. And then the bartender had to come out from behind the bar, the gumshoe, and solve the case. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so this led me to a wonderful article that we'll link to from the ma- magazine Punch called The Life and Death of the Martini Glass by Lizzie Monroe. And I'm going to quote from it a couple times. Quote, there are few symbols in the drink world more powerful, more recognizable, or more American than the martini glass. An angular monument to deco design, its characteristic V-shaped bowl and fine stem have long represented that most iconic of drinks, so much so that there is arguably no other image that better communicates the very notion of the cocktail. That is such a good point. That's really true. There is also no glass more despised by today's bartenders. I get that. And then she interviews a bunch of bartenders who are like, yeah, they fall over all the time. It sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the actual martini has been out of favor for a long time, too. And like I said, it seemed to me like something Gordon Gecko would drink, but I was wrong. Lizzie Monroe writes, following its nearly two-decade-long decline, the martini would fall out of vogue entirely by the early 70s. In 1973, Esquire derided it as, quote, a bitter medicinal-tasting beverage that represented everything from phony bourgeois values and social snobbery to jaded alcoholism and latent masochism. I don't quite know what wow. the last part means, but... Wow. Wow. But that does sound like something Esquire magazine would say. It sure does. And I have to agree that it is a... I don't know if I'd say it's bitter, but it is a medicinal tasting beverage. And I love a medicinal tasting yeah. beverage. But this to me tastes just like un... The word I'm looking for is unalloyed <laughs> alcohol. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you I know get, what I, I mean? I what you mean. Yeah. Okay. And I was even more delighted to find there is an entire Wikipedia page devoted to the concept of the three martini lunch. Do and tell. boy, am I going to read a bunch from this. Okay, I'm Are ready. you ready? It's story time. Quote, in the United States, the three martini lunch or noontime three martini, a term I've never heard, is a leisurely indulgent lunch enjoyed by business people or lawyers. It is named from the common belief that many people in the above mentioned professions have enough leisure time and wherewithal to consume more than one martini during the workday. The three martini lunch became particularly identified in popular culture with Madison Avenue advertising executives in the 1960s and 70s, who supposedly became more creative after such lunchtime libations. The term is sometimes used in political debates on tax deductibility of business meals in the U.S. Oh, my God. The three martini lunch, still quoting here, is no longer common practice for several reasons, including the implementation of fitness for duty programs by numerous companies, the decreased tolerance of alcohol use, a general decrease in available leisure time for business executives, and an increase in the size of the martini, (laughs) which made me feel so bad for business executives who have less leisure time. So sad. So, so sad. And finally... Quote, Jimmy Carter condemned the practice during the 1976 presidential campaign. Carter portrayed it as part of the unfairness of the nation's tax laws, claiming that the working class was subsidizing the $50 martini lunch. A rich businessman could write off this type of lunch as a business expense, thereby reducing the cost by his effective tax rate. His opponent, Gerald Ford, in a 1978 speech to the National Restaurant Association, responded with, quote, The three martini lunch is the epitome of American efficiency. Where else can you get an earful, a bellyful, and a snootful at the same time good joke huh uh, uh, uh <laughs> was his wife betty ford yeah this checks out yep okay okay so uh gerald ford let's get him on the show let's funny, get him on the show guy. okay so wow I am fascinated by yeah. this. Oh, so here's Hot Pots's. Oh, actually, do you okay. want to share Hot Pots's martini yeah, yeah, recipe yeah. So since producer, I've been talking for an hour? So producer Abby. Producer Abby. <laughs> writes in. 
that she really <laughs> likes the martinis that Hot Pots makes. And here is his recipe or his preferred formula. 2.5 ounces London dry gin, a half ounce dry vermouth, uh, Dolan brand, a dash of orange bitters, and a lemon peel. You put the gin and vermouth in a mixing glass full of ice, stir until frosty, strain into a chilled glass, express lemon peel over the glass, and use as garnish. <laughs> I wish I, I think you did express the lemon peel. I did. Right? I yeah. expressed it. Um, yeah, that, I that, mean, yeah. it's still, it's going to, we're still not going to like it, but. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Huh. I'm I'm a little disappointed. In I us. want. I, I think there are some martini drinkers among our listeners, and I would like to hear from them so we can like get your side of the story. Contact yeah. at spilledmilkpodcast.com. Yeah. Okay. Great. I mean, I'm not sure what your side of the story would be, other than I like the taste of it, but no, which is but, fine. Uh, but I'm interested in that because, yeah, I, I don't know. I really like strong alcohol, but this, yep, is not for me. Okay. Do we have any segments? We do. We have some spilled mail from listener Erica. Listener Erica says, are we still sharing about themed food nights? I meant to write in about our weekly night sooner, but life happened. So here we are. Anyway, I wanted to share about our weekly night, which has no formal name, but is often referred to as kids cooking night. It started because my 12 year old daughter, who has always loved helping in the kitchen, realized that even though she has lots of kitchen helping experience, she really didn't have a lot of interesting meals she could make from start to finish on her own and wanted to change that. So now she gets at least one night each week, generally Friday night, where she plans, shops for, and cooks a meal from start to finish with as little help from adults as possible. She will look through all of our cookbooks, scour the internet for recipes she wants to try out, and sometimes it's just learning how to make some family favorites with recipes that live in our brains. She will make a shopping list, and on Friday after school, we go shopping for what she needs. Shopping has turned into mini lessons on how to select produce and come up with on-the-fly substitutions for ingredients. Cooking also incorporates mini lessons, especially on time management, but also on improving her knife skills, managing multiple burners, etc. It's definitely helped her build up a lot of skills and it's fun. Her favorite meal to make solo is currently black bean and zucchini tacos, which she takes credit for creating. This led me to wonder how you got both kids of the show, well, December and June anyway, involved in cooking and what they enjoy making. Yeah, what does Gilbert enjoy making? <laughs> Gilbert is our dog. Uh, Gilbert enjoys eating literally anything. Literally anything, yeah. yeah. This is a great question. This is such a good question. And I absolutely love that part of Erica's family's like tradition involves the shopping. Yes, I, I noticed that too. Yeah, that's great. that is really, that's an extra step that I had not thought about. And like can be like, you know, if you like grocery shopping, which I do, can be like the most fun part. Mm -hmm. So my answer is so like uh, my kid December is like currently in college, although currently home from college and like doesn't cook dinner that often. When they do, they will typically make like uh, Mapo Dofu or like one of their favorites. Mm -hmm. they, they often will make themselves like a lunch from scratch, like uh, fried rice or egg rice, which is a couple of fried eggs on on steamed rice. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we'll make fried rice for, for all of us. Mm hmm. But uh, that's that's about it. Like I I I don't like to be pushy about about things, and so like I have not tried to like push them to cook more. I mostly started cooking when I was in my twenties. Yeah, yeah. I would say I also did not. I, my interest in cooking came along pretty organically when I was about seventeen, mm -hmm. and I was much more interested in baking than in cooking. Truly, so yeah. So it's interesting because there are certain things that June is really good at making and always really like happy and game to make yeah. like scrambled eggs mm -hmm. for instance oh june june also and maybe this doesn't even count but i think it does june is always up for making tuna salad okay yeah, um, no, it totally counts but here is one thing that i have observed that i do want to find a way to help june work on without being Naggy. It's, yeah, it's really hard not to be pushy when it's you're a parent. It's very hard, especially when you are someone. And I don't mean that, that like there's anything like inherently wrong with being pushy. It just doesn't work. Well, I think one thing that's really tricky for me is I I'm really good at 
being a home cook. Yeah. And I am often cooking in a way that is, I think, really streamlined and sort of as quick and and obstacle free as I can do it. <laughs> sure. Like, for instance, OK, June has been wanting to make this um, pound cake from the book More Than Cake, which mm-hmm. I mentioned as a now, but yeah. wow, a number of weeks ago. June has been wanting to make this uh, vanilla bean pound cake from that book. And I, I kept sort of like just putting it off or being like, oh, yeah, we could do that next week. So finally, one day, I really kind of forced my own hand by like just taking the book out and I left the butter out on the counter to soften and left out the eggs that we were going to need. And so like it was all out there and I I was sort of committing myself and June to doing it. And that was a week ago and they're all still sitting on the (sighs) counter. They did sit there for like three days. (laughs) But no, here's the thing that I find really tricky. So June is a really detail oriented kid. Of course, about the things that June is interested in. <laughs> sure, of like course. a human trait, right? But like, I was blown away by June's like inability to thoroughly read the instructions. Yeah, sure. Like, and I know that this is so normal for a ten-year-old. Yeah, but. I get so frustrated. Like I, I said to June, like June said to me, so the recipe started by uh, you like grease a loaf pan and then put some turbinado sugar in there. And the recipe called for, I think, a quarter cup of turbinado sugar. And you put two tablespoons in the loaf pan and kind of dust the loaf pan with it. And then the remaining two tablespoons go on top of the batter before okay. you bake the cake, right? So I, I got the turbinado sugar down for them. And I was like, okay, so, uh, you know, here's your measuring stuff, whatever. June starts to get out the quarter cup. And I was like, ah, be sure to read the recipe really closely about what you do with that turbinado sugar. And June was like, ah, well, I put it in the loaf pan. And I was like, how much? And June was like, a quarter cup. And I was like, nope, read the recipe again. And June was like, I did. And I was like, no, no. You clearly didn't. I mean, I'm like standing there like telling my child like, well, no, you did not read the recipe. Like it was not a very like suave parenting moment. And I so I think some of this has made me feel a little bit less than encouraging about June, like taking on an entire dinner project or whatever. No, I totally get that. Because it requires so much from me. And I know that that's like what parenting is. I know, but 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 I don't know. But it's hard. (laughs) Anyway, but June is always into um, baked goods. June is always really well, uh, like willing to help. And I, I just, I need to work on my like my patience. Yeah, no, I think I had like very much the same experience. You know, I think you have to sort of like have faith that uh, that you're like setting a good example, <laughs> even if your kid doesn't do that much cooking. Because like, you know, uh, my mom was a, an excellent home cook. Uh, and like, you know, I didn't make dinner at home, like hardly ever as a kid, but I saw her do it and I would occasionally make something. And then, you know, in my twenties, I was living, uh, you know, with the wife of the show, Lori, and we, and I like, you know, learned to cook over the course of a few years. Well, and And I I think that I I do take some solace in the fact that I I know that June really enjoys the food that I cook and I think enjoys it in many ways, like more than like getting takeout or going out. Ooh, this is sort of a sneak preview of next week's episode. And therefore, for I do feel like hopefully even if June doesn't come away from their childhood like having learned to make entire meals I think that June because June loves food and loves to eat mm-hmm. and loves to like June loves nothing more than pouring over cookbooks. Yeah. Yeah, so, I did too as, at that age. Absolutely. And so I think between that and the fact that June, I think, values the results of home cooking, I hope it means that at a certain point, June will take that enthusiasm they have and begin to apply it to cultivating a home cooking practice of their own. Yeah, no, but it's hard. Like when, when like they're like eager, you know, enthusiastic about it and, and you don't want to stand in their way, but you also know that the actual process of like helping them through getting a meal on the table is going to be exhausting for you. Like there's no easy answer to that. Yeah, I, I'd be curious to see like, 
I don't know how, how, what does Erica, like, what do you tell yourself so that you can like get through all those questions? Yeah, that's a good, that is an excellent question. Um, I mean, then again, like your child is, is 12. I've got a, yeah. a 10 year old and there is it. That's a big that's two a big year difference. difference. Yeah. So maybe by the time June is 12, maybe they'll be making mm-hmm. dinners too. And I June can ride a horse. June can ride a horse. Yeah. So this like, is true. Yeah. Erica, we'd like to see your kid ride a horse. <laughs> maybe, maybe they can. Um, <laughs> Anyway, that was a great question. Thank you, Erica. That was really thought-provoking. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, do you have a now but wow? I do. It is a YA book by May Coyuto, and it's called Chloe and the Kai Shout Boys. And it is a uh, fun YA novel that I'm really enjoying set in Manila. And Chloe, the main character, is planning to go to America for college to study animation. Uh, but her dad really wants her to stay in the Philippines. So he sets her up. He and, like, other relatives set her up on a series of terrible dates to try and get her to meet, like, the boy that will is so great that he'll keep her from leaving home. And obviously, this does not really work as planned. Does she meet the girl that's so great? It'll keep her from leaving home. That would be an interest. I haven't finished the book, but okay. so it's possible. I don't think so. Okay. But uh, I think I think she does like a boy. But <sighs> um, but like it like there's tons of food in the book. I don't think I've read a YA book set in the Philippines before. And uh, we're no good reason. And I want to read more and would love recommendations. And there's lots of like really believable, like adolescent, late adolescent dialogue in mm-hmm. the book. I was just in Portland and hanging out with uh, Lori's brother and his family um, and he has three kids who are uh, range range in age from uh, like uh, high school high school to middle school okay. and uh, it was so fun hanging out with them because they are just like zinging each other nonstop and like obviously absolutely love each other and also are just like up in each other's face all the time like oh but you yesterday you said and like just like they, they just have like a way of a way of speaking and like uh, being in each other's face that is that is so clear classic. Uh, I really enjoyed getting to see it for a night and then not having to deal with it the next day. <laughs> so, um, you know, I bet our producer, Abby Circuitella, would know a few things about uh, sibling stuff. Abby oh, has oh, producer many Abby. producer. Pr- producer Abby <laughs> has many sisters and um, maybe a brother. Brothers. Yeah. Brothers, too. Yeah. So as a producer, Abby, get in touch. <laughs> yeah. Let us know. Do you did you zing each other? I'm sure there's got to be zinging. Yeah. My brother's and I, we would zing. You would zing? Um, did you uh, zong? We, z- we zinged and we z- and we zagged. Oh, great. Uh, Molly's got a got a newsletter on Substack called I've Got a Feeling that's uh, wonderful. And it's uh, just had an incredible series about uh, how does a queer couple have a baby? Yeah. Um, yeah. True that, story. Uh, You're really going to enjoy. Uh, and that's at mollyweisenberg.substack.com. Uh, Matthew makes music. His band is called Early to the Airport. Mm-hmm. And you can find them everywhere you stream music. Weirdly, like we seem to be getting like slightly more popular. <laughs> like, well, that's not weird. Like like, like our listenership. I figured I figured our listenership would like quickly like drop to zero after after like all of our friends listened to it once. But people are still listening to it. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love um, that. So, yeah. Ned, like hang out with other people and talk about like uh, why, what's wrong with us for not liking martinis at uh, everythingspilledmilk.reddit.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and until next time, you've been listening to Cold FM. Up next, it's um, uh, <laughs> uh, Wild Wild West by Escape Club. <laughs> Your favorite song for the 80s. Okay. I'm so impressed that you remembered that band name. I, I don't know how I pulled that. I remember the song. Living in the 90s. Living in the wild, wild west. Something like that. Heading, heading for the 90s. Because it was the 80s. Heading for the 90s. Living, Living in the wild, wild west. The wild, wild west. west. I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Amsterberg. But I think we're going to split the classic into two different glasses yeah. and put like lemon in one and we do like half an olive in the other since it's a half size. <laughs> yeah, that's a, no, that would be so gross to have a half olive. It's like, what's so gross about that? I don't know. It feels like like half a. Is like, it going to like leach too much olive it juice might leach into it? Too much olive juice. Abby is listening to this. This whole, this whole, her this job. whole thing. Like, I think I might like the lemon one, maybe, but like the whole idea of like putting an olive in a drink skeeves me beyond the beyond normal levels of skeeve. Okay. Well, what if we start the show? Okay. Okay. <laughs>